Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 373rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's outside your door right now trying to get our cards back. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all of the developments this week. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed products, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, lots going on. What's on the agenda this week? Uh, we're going to lead off with a legacy event that happened over in at uh, Haryuya. I always think I'm saying that name wrong. Am I saying it right? I think it's close. As close as us Gaijin are likely to get. Okay. And we also have a Pioneer Challenge to talk about online. Segment two is our top movers in paper. Segment three is going to be our top movers online. In segment four, we've got our cards to watch. You and I and readers have some fantastic picks this week. And we're going to lead, uh, finish up with our topics of the week. We've got the Aftermath leaks. We've got new secret lair drops. And we've got a visit from those infamous Pinkertons to discuss. All right, we'll kick things off here with this Pioneer Challenge from April 22nd. We have Mono Green in 1st and 8th, both of which are testing out copies of Pelucranos Reborn, a card that has certainly kicked my ass enough times in draft for me to believe that it could be viable in Mono Green Pioneer, as we mentioned on a previous cast. The first place list was also running two copies of Invasion of Ikoria, which I had the displeasure of playing against in uh, EDH this weekend. And when that thing flips and blocking doesn't matter anymore, it is not pretty. Yeah, it's real good. Um, it, when it it just weren't blocked, and it's an eight eight, and you all you had to do was deal six damage with whatever you went and found. It seems real good. I'm impressed by this card. Second place was green red aggro, blue red creativity in third, black red sacrifice in fourth, green red mid range in fifth black red mid-range in sixth and then the super spice of the week over here in pioneer was this demir rogues deck featuring three copies of fairy mastermind this thing is real sexy with shieldred where you can blow them out of the game late later on if you have eight mana and their life total is low enough and you just make them draw two cards and shieldred forces them to lose four life that's just mean i like it they were running three Brazen Borrower, four Thieves Guild Enforcer, three Nighthawk Scavenger, four Soaring Thought, Thie- Thought Thief, two Shieldred, three Fairy Mastermind, two Go for the Throat, three Fatal Push, two Spell Periers, four Drown in the Lock, four Thought Seas, and three Kaito Shizuki, the much-hyped Mythic Ninja Planeswalker, which was very expensive in the Japanese Altart foil borderless for a couple months until it stopped seeing any play anywhere and then all of a sudden just disappeared off the map. But here we have it back in the top eight of a Pioneer tournament. Is there any particular rogue uh, synergy going on here? I'm trying to figure out if there is a 
rogue thing, but I don't see any like uh, I don't see any the mechanic that lets you play the rogue spells or anything like that going on. Yeah, it looks like it's more like it draws cards, and that's nice with Shieldred. Right. The creature can't be blocked, which can help get through last couple points of damage. Oh, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. But Soaring Thought Thief gives your rogues uh, plus one to power, and whenever rogues attack, everybody mills two. All right, that's the money. I mean, Kaito's not making rogues, though. He's making ninjas. He's making ninjas, yes. But yeah. every other creature besides uh, Shieldred is a rogue. So yeah. you're going to get there. Now, now over in the uh, God of Legacy tournament at Haryuya, there was 239 players involved. This was actually a little while back. It was on April 18th. First place was Canadian Midrange, which is team or good stuff. Dragons Rage Channeler, Tarmogoyfs, Uros in a format where that's still legal. They were running a Minsk and Boo, etc., etc. Uh, Blue Red Delver in second. There was a sneak and show deck in third place. They were running two Archon of Cruelty, three Atraxa Grand Unifier, two Emrakul Eons Torn, and a Tally Primal Conqueror has top eight at a major legacy tournament. Very nasty. That's certainly unexpected. I don't think they're expecting to flip that card, so they're just looking for pure unfiltered value. But really, how you get to exile the cards and then cast it, right? So... If you can do the thing where you're brainstorming the Emrakul to the top in response to the Atali trigger, yeah, baby, yeah. Well, and imagine that your top is attracts a grand unifier. <laughs> That's also money. <laughs> you're you're going Italian to attracts a plus something random off the top of their deck, like a lightning bolt or a ponder or something. I love sneak and show decks. They always play a little bit more creatures than most of the others do, and. Four sneak attack and only nine creatures you really want to attack with. So money. I love Legacy. The next two decks were both mono blue artifact decks. The first one had four Emery Lurker of the Lock, two Kappa Cannoneer, two three Psy Master Thop- Thopterus, and four Thought Monitor with a bunch of relevant artifacts, Force of Wills, Thought Casts. And then the next one was pretty similar. It was uh, four Emery, four Kappa Cannoneer, two Psy Master Thopterus, but they found room for two Chrome Host Seed Shark as the one of the potential standout mom rares that we have flagged on cast. They get to defend that, of course, with Force of Will, uh, which makes it uh, a lot easier to keep it on the battlefield, especially in a format where they've got a bunch of stuff like Urza's Bobble, Mox Opal, and Lotus Petal that can like crank out the Incubate tokens. And the Incubate tokens work so well with the Kappa Cannoneer. You know, you get a plus one, plus one counter, and it can't be blocked. The stupid thing has Ward 4. So you're going to trigger that the Seed Shark all the time. This is a beautiful deck. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. Uh, so they, there was also a Doomsday list in 6th. It looked like they were missing one of the lists. I think they just failed to collect it. So the only other one we know about is Taiga Initiative, which was either the 7th place or 8th place list. And it features 4 Caves of Chaos Adventurer and 4 Under Mountain Adventurer, so the red and green initiative creatures respectively that people had been specking on, and apparently not without cause, since they are doing pretty much exactly what people thought, replacing the white initiative creatures uh, that had been banned. You have 3 Minsk and Boo Timeless Heroes in this deck, uh, a card that frankly seems underplayed in green red decks in edh where every single time i've seen that thing cast people underestimate what it does it's so good i don't see how 
I got hit with a boo that had been berserked this weekend on yes. turn three in EDH. That, will that, that make was your day fun. rough. Yep. <laughs> berserked boo. Uh, berserk is you sack at end of combat, right, or end of turn? Uh, you have to kill it at the end of turn. Yeah. Oh, uh, so great! You get to sacrifice it after you berserk it. Money. But the thing is, with boo, they they get it at the next upkeep anyway. That's right. So, so who cares? <laughs> who cares? It's got vigilance and trample, right? No, just trample and haste. Trample and haste. Still very good. Uh, yeah, trample haste, and then you get to just, put plus three plus three plus one plus one counters on it with the plus one, and the minus two, you get to sack it and deal damage to something, and then draw cards. Like it's just <laughs> just so good. What what can you even do? It's crazy. Moving on over to segment two, top paper movers of the week. Lots of action related to Mom or specs that Mom has activated. We have Invasion of Tarkir. This was the uh, card that I said I was going to try to put into Jeskai Dragons for Pioneer as a meme. Going 9 to 13. at Because uh, I think Invasion of Tarkir is a mythic, if I'm not mistaken. That is correct. It is a mythic. Yeah, it looks like it would be a rare, but it's not. So that's early play in Standard and Pioneer. Battle Angels of Tyr borderless copies were the Pro Trader selection last week, and they pretty much did what you would expect them to do in that scenario. They went 13 to 20. There is uh, Knights, underlying Knights demand that is helping there since Sadar Jabari was, I believe, the second most played commander of the week. Yeah, that sounds right. Yes. Yeah, Trax is still number one, but Sadar has slid into number two. We've got Omnath, Locus of All in number three, Thalia and Gitrog Monster, which is the first commander I built uh, out of this uh, out of Mom, and Timna the Weaver in fifth. So uh, with that Sadar support plus the cast call, uh, additional movement was seen, and looks like if you've been holding Battle Angels and you got in real cheap or you cracked some in your commander legends packs probably a good time to get out on them since they could easily show up uh, as a card in commander masters later this summer we've also got twin flame foil etched at a double masters 2022 going 8 to 13 60 percent plus gains and that's because it is in 50 percent or so of all the itali decks that have been built in the last couple of weeks and the reason for that is even though when you twin flame itali you get a token that's going to die right away because it would be a legendary copy of a tally. You get the ETB trigger from a tally. So presumably the turn before, you played a tally, cast three things for free, and got into a sweet position. And then assuming that nobody was able to kill a tally, on the next turn you twin flame when it attacks, you get another ETB. <laughs> and now you've cast six cards for free off a tally and you know the, the, with the last three coming off a two-mana spell. Pretty amazing stuff. I like when uh, we find cards that synergize so well together. The nice thing about Twin Flame, too, is it ramps. Like, it's scalable. If you put three more men in it, you can target something non-legendary that you're attacking with and go to town, right? Like You've probably found some value in the assorted Itali triggers you've already resolved. So, yeah, this seems like something that will break a lot of face. Yeah, you're playing get an this. Angels deck. They had a Battle Angels you stole that off the top. You're attacking with Myriad. Then you're going to Twin Flame the... Listen, the... now we're doing we're doing calculus now. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this game to do calculus. Basic algebra, sure. But not we're talking exponential growth, and I'm not down for that. 
We've also got the Sliver King incoming in, uh, in relation to the Commander Masters release in, I think, late July, early August. Bone Sight Sliver Foil Extended Art is the Sliver moving this week. That is 40 to 65. One of the includes in Secret Layers over the last year or so, and a lot of these have been on the move with that Sliver King coming down the pipe. We've got Invasion of Ikoria uh, as one of the other battle cards from Mom that is seeing early testing in Standard and Pioneer, and this one's also a Mythic, and as a result, uh, a lot of interest in it over the weekend, and it went 7 to $12. Also have Graveyard Trespasser, a staple in black-red midrange for Pioneer, which has been pretty much every top 8 we've seen in the last 8 months or so, I think. Uh, sl- silver screen foil versions going 18 to 32 on the back of relatively low supply. Then we have Invasion of New Phyrexia, which is the white-blue night-producing X-spell battle, going 5 to $9 in regular copies on the back of standard testing. Dark Ritual Invocations from Amonkhet Masterpiece Series went 85 to 160 or whatever somebody pays for the next copy sold. <laughs> Just a slow, steady drain on those. That's actually one of the nicer ones. I've always thought that the invocations were pretty wonky looking, but the black ones have always been the nicest in my eyes. It just works with the tan frame very nicely. And the art on the Dark Ritual invocation is is also quite nice. It's also typical that if people want one of them, they probably want four if they're I playing mean, them. you can't some... have your Dark Rituals not match. That would just not be kosher, man. You can't do that. Not super relevant in EDH, but it could be if you're playing this Doomsday deck that top aided over in Japan, where they run the full full four copies. Super happy to see Jace Friend's Prodigy spike this week on the back of a new Rona JVP Tyvar slash Kinnon. Well, there's there's a bunch of different lists floating around. (laughs) One was from Todd Anderson, the other was from Aspiring Spike. Others have picked it up and ran with, with the baton. So it's not always the same cards in the mix, but the bottom line is that Tapping legends that can be untapped with Retraction Helix can, in combination with Kinnon, end up making infinite mana, and then you can go do a whole bunch of wacky stuff to win the game. And JVP was like a $80 to $100 card. I think it was the most expensive rare right. during during the most expensive standard format. The KTK, also true. KTK block standard where Jeskai Black was just an absolute terror and JVP's got very, very expensive, and then once it rotated out, they just kind of fell off the map because they weren't getting played in Modern, and Pioneer didn't even exist yet. So seeing this come back to the forefront as a card that hasn't caught a reprint. You know, you and I were talking, I think, last week about how Planeswalkers are probably the card type with the least number of reprints um, over the years, and JVP's a good example. I mean, that was 2015, and since then, there's been the FTV foil and the SDCC promo that I think was printed the yeah, that, f- first year after release. And those the, have been... The ones that's impossible to read. Yeah, and they're like $150 plus, and they're hard to find. And other than that, the FTV reprint, um, that's it. There's been no other J- JVPs. So these went from 10 to 22, and regular FTV foils went 10 to 35, who knows if that Rona Jace combo deck in Modern Endor Pioneer will be a real thing or not? But if you're sitting on JVPs that have been rotting in binders, it looks like a, a decent exit if you want it. I would be taking that exit, yes. Speaking of Origins cards that haven't caught reprints and have climbed as a result as they gained fresh relevance, Hallowed Moonlight was 
big in both the sideboards of Jeskai Black and some other decks in that same standard period as JVP uh, because it would stop people from putting things into play that didn't belong there. And in an era where Indomitable Creativity is doing a lot of work in both Pioneer and Modern, and there's a whole bunch of other decks that are, are reanimating stuff and so forth, Hallowed Moonlight does a very good job uh, uh, coming out of the sideboards. Foils for this card are now have gone 15 to 45, not in the last week. This is a long, uh, you know, trying to look at some stuff over a longer horizon. But that jump is from mid-February or so and, and fairly impressive. This could easily catch a reprint somewhere, a secret layer... I don't think it's a high priority for Commander Masters, but it could end up there. I can see this doing a lot of work in a Commander game. I would not be shocked to see this in Commander Masters. This is one of the things where they can cash in on a bit bit of reprint equity and just uh, drive this price into the ground. It's in only 859 decks reported. Really? That seems surprising for a card that's really good. Like It, it hoses tokens completely, right? Yep. And uh, any kind of reanimator strategy out. Any cast, let's see, you get to do Itali stuff, but you can't enter the battlefield from the library. You can't do enters from the top of the, from the library. You can't do anything from the graveyard. You can't do tokens. You can't do enters tapped and attacking. Well, if you can, can't, yeah, you're right. So it seems like it has a lot of use, uh, but again, it was just a rare in 2015, so... We've got eight years since it was printed, and they're, you know, the sideboards have been apparently maybe soaking these up. I don't know. The, the, these foils were definitely down under five dollars at some point. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, so definitely uh, a sell, regardless. Cultivate surge foils and four or five other surge foils all took a jump this week. Cultivate's going three to ten dollars. That's just been an ongoing targeting based on relatively limited demand with the short print run of the foil four decay decks. And then at the very top of the list here, we have Invasion of Segovia. Uh, regular copies, $1.50 to 6 I couldn't find a deck that was running these, but I'm presuming there's a, a streamer or a YouTube video I just haven't caught yet. I did, however, have an experience with this card in draft over the weekend where I had my eyes opened because when I read the front side and it was like, it makes two one one Krakens with Trample, I was like, eh, whatever. And I, I looked at the backside and I'm like, ah, back, backside's not that big a creature either. This is like a throwaway. But then I forgot to read the last line of text, which is at the end of your turn, untap four creatures. Yeah. Plus giving everything convoke. It's pretty ridiculous. So then I was like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be playing this in Gearson where I have all the pingers and one, one goblins because I can, the pingers that can ping any target can take down the Segovia and flip it, and then I can untap all the pingers at my end of my turn, and with Gearson in play, they're pinging for three. What I love is that your pinger deck is not playing the pings for two creature, the uh, legend out of Homelands. Like, you only want to ping for one, which is super hilarious to me. Yeah. So, uh, Invasion of Segovia, along with a lot of the other battles, I think the more you play this format in Limited, the more you start to respect that... It's not that far-fetched in a lot of circumstances that you would want to take the time off to flip the battle. And in some cases, with things like Invasion of Ikoria, or what's... I can't remember what the name of it is, but the invasion that's white and a black, and you get to sack a creature or an artifact, and then you get to exile something. I believe that's Nuka Pena. Yeah, if, if, you don't, if you don't flip that, you're okay with that. Like, some of these battles are just basically comes into play enchantments that... Right. that that do things there's there's the one where you discard a card then draw two and then if you ever get have an opportunistic reason to flip them all the better 
you know, maybe you have a vampire hex mage or whatever that you can trade in for whatever the backside is of your thing. So over time, there's it's very difficult for wizards to corner case all of the different interactions in the ever-expanding pool of magic cards. And that opens up the door for additional battles that we get in Lord of the Rings or sets beyond that to just come out the gate with two or three broken interactions that make them entirely playable. Also, the fact that these battles, the, the especially the good ones, they're reasonably priced for the effect that they do. Sometimes they're exactly as much as another card which does the same thing. Invasion of Mercadia is like that, where it's one in a red to discard one card and draw two cards. That's a card we've seen a whole bunch of times. But now, if you can find four damage to any target, then it's money in the bank. So you get an extra bonus on top of what you've already gotten, which you were okay with in the first place. Is the flip side of that one the thing that discards cards to give all your creatures plus one, plus zero in haste? And makes two one one elementals. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yes, I've lost to that several times. In, That's in a draft very already. good card, yes. Yeah. Yes. I actually wonder whether there's a fringe playable deck with just four vampire hex mage and four of the three mana sorcery that removes five counters and draws a card. Because I mean, you play, possibly you, you play a battle on two, and on three you either hex mage or that thing, and you're getting your value. Is hex mage hex mage is pioneer legal? No, but modern legal. Hmm, modern's hard. But you think so? You think that? You think like, oh, modern's such a fast format? But if you watch aspiring spike streams as much as I do, there are plenty of modern games that go 10, 12, 15 turns. This is also true, but Spike also has a unique perspective in playing so much modern. You have an idea of what to do against, you know, the big decks. So that helps a lot to know that you can build some shenanigans and know how to play your shenanigans. So that's a a real big bonus to playing a bunch of a format. Bottom line, the the challenge, the, the gauntlet has now been slapped down on battles. And, you know, some of these have spiked early. Can they hold those spikes in the face of a set where so much of the EV is being drained out by these the chase for serialized cards? Uh, remains to be seen. This is, you know, could be a set that goes the way of Strixhaven. You know, that's what some of the people in our Discord were expecting, that everything would just be utterly dirt cheap. I, I tend to think that the set is a step above Strixhaven just because the mythics are so much better. You can pull Ragavans out of here. You can pull the Traxes out of here. You can pull a bunch of different Praetors in different versions. And that's a solid step above the mythics in Strixhaven where there was basically nothing there but Witherbloom or whatever. There is a lot of downward pressure. But so far, the really big cards have been holding reasonable price points given how many cards the EV is spread across. All right. Lightning round. We're gonna. I'm gonna tell you the invasion, and you're gonna. I'm gonna tell you if it's mythic or rare, and the price, and you tell me uh, sell or hold. You ready? Okay. All right. Invasion of Segovia, rare, six dollars. Yeah, it seems like a sell. Sell. All right. And then invasion of New Phyrexia, mythic, nine bucks. That really depends on how many people are actually playing standard and paper. Default for all of these is sell. If okay, you don't there have you any go. other information. <laughs> if you don't have any other information, but it, if it turns out that there are, that standard price can actually drive a price, that which is remains to be proven, then especially heading into summer, mind you, it's it's easier to do that in October than it is in June. Yeah, I mean it, they should all fall. They should. They all fall. should mostly fall. Like Invasion of Icoria is a rare at twelve. I think it will eventually be good. But I think we're going to have a chance to buy in at somewhere around 7 where it was at the beginning of the week. 
I, I think that's that, that can't hold twelve dollars or even lower. Or even lower. I'm being optimistic or pessimistic. Because right say. now we're in a testing phase. Everybody's excited. It's frothy. There's, There's... so much coming, though. Because sometimes you see, a, even if you see a card in a top eight, if you have not talked to that pilot or followed up on, on that, the results, they may already have decided they're pulling that card. Yeah. Like I like the guy who read blue, red, blue, uh, black rogues. Did he love Mastermind or did he think that it was relatively weak and he was going to swap it out after that tournament? If you haven't asked that question, you don't know what's happening until you see that list repeat week after week. If we see blue, black rogues post up in top eights, you know, two, three, four times a month, that's a different story. Now, now, you know, fairy mastermind starts to look like a multi-format super staple and not another thieving skydiver that's going to take three years to go anywhere. All right. I'm with you on that. All right. Moving on over to top magic online movers of the week. You get a pretty good picture of what's happening in standard and, and pioneer. Uh, Pioneer, especially since you can't play it on Arena. Fairy Mastermind went up a whopping 200% over the weekend. Five tickets to almost 15 tickets after being uh, a winner of the Legacy Tournament and placing in the top eight of the Pioneer Tournament. Rona, Herald of Invasion, two ticks to nine ticks on the back of Standard Pioneer and Testing Play in Modern from the Todd Anderson Brew. Kinnan Vonder Prodigy. A Ikoria spec of mine on this cast way back when. 0.59 ticks to 2.9 through almost 400% gains on the back of the Todd Anderson Pioneer Combo Brew. And then Invasion of Karsis, which is the red sweeper. I think it does three damage to all creatures, if I'm not mistaken. Three, cre- three to each creature and each planeswalker. It's a rare. Got you. Going 0.5 ticks to 14 on the back of extensive standard play. So people that bought those under two tickets are looking at 1,500% plus gains. Very nice indeed. That is very nice. I'd be I'd be selling at almost all those prices, I believe. As an extension of all that, I'm going to stake my claim in Cards to Watch with my first pick this week on Fairy Mastermind Foil Extended Arts. I really wish the art was better here. Because it leaves the door wide it's a open. Portrait. Why are you being so mean? It's just yeah, but it's just a bad portrait. They they've had <laughs> most of the artists that have done the world championship cards have really struggled to bring those people to life in the cards and not have it look awkward. That's very, true. I'll give very you that. few of them have looked good. The probably Bob's dark confidant is the best of them. Uh, most of the rest suck, and this does too. That said, I've played this in at least 10 Commander games now, and it's excellent. Very, very, very good. Always does work. Always draws a bunch of cards. It's going to be a staple. It's the EDH Rec agrees. It's the number one card reported in the format so far in thousands of decks already. It's also the biggest mom card rare to show up in other formats so far with it top eighting and le- i mean winning in legacy and top eighting in pioneer means it probably could find a home in modern maybe blue black fairies isn't good enough there yet but maybe we're going back to Eldraine this fall which we are and then maybe we're getting one or two more competitive fairies that put that deck back into the spotlight who knows now this is a foil extended art rare in a set with a massive ev challenge so in theory, you shouldn't need to reach for this. Like if you look at something like Plaza of Heroes, Foil Extended Arts from Dominaria United last September, those are sitting at, I called them at about 15 to get down to 10, and they've been sitting at 12, but holding that plateau. 
And keep in mind, Plaza of Heroes is not played anywhere, but in, I think, maybe a smattering of, of standard decks, but almost entirely in EDH. Whereas Fairy Mastermind could be Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, or some combination thereof. So I think putting your entry point at about 10 probably makes sense. I went out ahead and bought nine copies yesterday at 12.50 just to dip my toe in the water and then watch to see what direction things are headed. Uh, currently, this card, despite its EDH pedigree, is not cheap in Japan because A, it's uh, the Japanese world champion on the card. So I'm sure there's a little, right. a little bit of nostalgia there. And B, it, it showed up in Legacy <laughs> in Japan. Yep. Uh, uh, sorry, not in Japan. In uh, it's showed no, up in it was... Legacy, and Japan cares about it. Yes. Yeah, it was an, yeah, like it was it, an it... online Legacy tournament that it that it won, not not the uh, God of Legacy. However, bottom line, Fairy Mastermind is a great card. I think Foil Extended Arts in the eight to twelve dollar range is probably the entry window where you can dabble and decide where to go after you grab little batches here and there cheapest versions on tcg right now for foil extended arts are 1437 plus two dollars shipping there have been an enormous number of copies that sold today in foil and it's understandable this is you know the first real weekend that you've been able to uh, buy and sell the card is not a, it's not pre-order pricing but there have been a whole lot of sales of this and at the moment, this will change. You know, we haven't gotten to any of the really huge operations yet. We've got only the first week, but this is that entry point is very reasonable. And given its play patterns, I I can't really give you a reason to avoid it, except for I hate buying cards early. I would rather miss out on things than overpay for them. But I have I've seen the chops, I've seen videos, I've I've heard stories from lots of people who have played it, and I agree it's very good. I just wouldn't yet. I can't bring myself to buy a card the first week, even if it if it might be there. You your reasons are all solid. I just have a mental block against being the the first one to buy in on something like this. The skeptic's position is wait a year and you'll still be able to get them in this same eight to twelve dollar range. I don't know about a year, but more like six months, but yes. Well, if it's only good in EDH. Yeah. It, if it continues to post up results in two of the three of Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy, and it's getting played in Standard, which seems entirely likely, uh, because it pairs so well with Children, then it might be the next Ledger Shredder or Fable of the Mirror Breaker. In which case, well, it's going to be a 30 to $40 foil extended art in a year. What's the regular copies at right now? I think it was like eight bucks or something last I checked. Yeah, that sounds right. So yeah, I can I can see why this is pickable. Yeah, we're looking at seven dollars or so for uh, regular non foils. So defensible, understandable. I can see where you're coming from here. I personally wouldn't, but not because I think you're wrong. It's just because I I hate buying standard cards this early. I just don't I want to be to do it. I also just don't want to be holding them when within two years they print them in a secret layer with incredible art. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's a given. That's going to happen. This is too neat a card not to. All right. They've done that. They gave uh, a whole bunch of printings to Bob. They did that to the Sad Robot. Snapcaster's gotten new art. They, they won't reprint with the same art over and over again. That's for sure. 
All right. What is your first selection? My first pick this week is a card we have talked about as a combo card. was a pick a long while ago, but um, this is a different version. We're talking Yawgmoth Thran Physician, the retro foils from Modern Horizons 2. You can get these for around $35 on TCG Player, and the card has all the chops. It's got a modern combo deck it's played in. You've got... 50,000 commander decks that play it. There's no huge walls. And the other foil version... There are two other foil versions to watch out for. You've got the uh, Time Spower Remastered Old Border Foil. That's $300. This one is exactly the same card with a different expansion symbol. You can get the foil from the original printing, Modern Horizons 1, for about 90 the borderless foils from Modern Horizons 2 were also available for around $25, but really just comes down to the number of copies available versus how quickly they move. I've got to go buy a copy of this for my Ayara deck, and I think that these are going to go from 35 to around 60 sometime in the next year. I think it's had enough printings that we're safe from a reprint for a while, but nothing's guaranteed with Commander Masters coming. I would not be shocked if this was in there in another retro frame, making us all look bad. So, to be clear, you're not talking about MH2, you're talking about Dominaria Remastered. Was it... Which one had the retro foil? Well, Oh, they, you are... You're right. I'm talking about uh, Dominaria Remastered. You are correct. I put that wrong on the sheet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Modern Horizons just had regular and, and right. regular foils. There was no special things in Modern Horizons. And then Time Spiral Remastered is where we got the retro reprint. And now Dominaria Remastered is the reprint of the reprint where they gave us a slightly different <laughs> frame and otherwise it's pretty much the same as what you got in time spiral and as you said those those are very pricey but i would imagine that sales on them has slowed to a crawl given that you can get a much cheaper and very uh, interchangeable version of the dominaria remastered now that borderless version again it is not from mh2 it's from dominaria remastered so it actually competes with un- with that version directly 73 right. listings on those. They start about 26. I That art's not amazing, so I would imagine that the retrofoils are the preferred, um, although I haven't tallied the number of sales per day to, to double-check that. I think this is, is fine. It gets played enough in a consistent deck in Modern as a four of and sees plenty of EDH play that it gets there assuming they give it time to breathe and don't give us another reprint. Now, this one, they've been very aggressive with reprinting, so it feels to me like they're going to leave it alone for a few years. I agree. If if they don't, then you're going to have trouble. But otherwise, I think you will get away with getting in on these at, like, say, 35 and getting out between 50 and 60 mm, 12 to 24 months from now. Yeah, that's right in line with what I thought would happen. Alrighty. I'm going to go with... Mox Amber Retro Foils. This is not the schematic foils, but the retro foils. Something about the schematic art feels too bright. Maybe that's not the right word. Academic? Sterile? It it doesn't have the same swagger as the original art in the retro frame. And I think that the price gap between them makes the retro foils more attractive. You can get those for about 45 right now. I figure in about a year you can probably get that from 45 to 65 or 70. There's only we're only da- we're already down 6 months out from release. 6 months. 
and we're yep. down to 21 listings with no major walls. Keep in mind, this is a card that is in 87,000 decks on EDH Rec. And so true demand is probably like a quarter million copies or something worldwide. And that's just from commander players. In Pioneer and in Modern, there are multiple decks that run multiple copies of Mox Amber. And you see it all the way back to Legacy. So very big deal card, uh, very important reprint, and also a pretty decent model for thinking about things like Ragavan and Atraxa in the Multiverse Legends in, in Mom. Because this is a mythic from six months prior that drained out real fast. Ragavan is probably closer, given its overall play pattern. Whereas Atraxa is the best commander of all time, but you only people don't really need more than one copy of her. So this looks pretty good to me. Uh, given where we are, there's just not that many copies sitting around waiting. And the schematics are up closer to 75 or 80. And are likely to be 100 plus. And I think people that are comparing the two will see a bargain in the retrofoils. What I really love about this pick is that we know Jeweled Lotus is going to be in Commander Masters. Yeah. So the biggest risk with this card is the next time they feel like juicing some Commander action, they'll throw this in. But we just got it. It's not going to be in the set, the big Commander set this summer. So it'll have time to grow. I don't. I, I would be surprised at this showing up in a secret lair in the next year. You know, next two years, sure. You know, not, nothing is certain in that regard. But the biggest outlet for this is already ruled out just by the presence of Jeweled Lotus. You're not going to have Mox Amber and Jeweled Lotus in the same set. I would not put it past them to, to put this in the Brothers War retro reprint sheet and to put this in Commander Masters. I don't think that would be unlike, that would be impossible, but I do think you're not going to put two zero-cost artifacts in a Mythic in the same set like this. So this feels like an incredibly solid pick. The numbers are right. Your time frame is good. This is a marvelous pick, and I'm jealous I didn't think of this. All right. Uh, what's your final selection? My other pick this week is a card that has eight listings right now on TCG Player. And all of those are one single copy, except for one company that has seven copies. That's right, I'm talking about Foil Extended Art Hellkite Courser. My love for dragons is well known, and we're getting War Dragon in Commander Masters. We're also going to get some other sweet commanders, but Hellkite Courser for six mana gives you a 6-5 flyer and a free cast and attack on your commander. Now, granted, this is super redonk with Ur-Dragon, and I have proven that any number of times by playing this for 5 mana, getting the Ur-Dragon to smash for 10, getting the Dragon trigger. It's just all gravy in the Ur-Dragon deck. But there are so few copies left at Foil Extended Art that it is due to just explode with like the next 4 sales. The only thing holding me back, this is already in 20,000 Commander decks as a Mythic from Commander Legends. The only thing holding me back is I'm not sure they will stop themselves from reprinting it in Commander Masters. If they do, uh, this is going to fall. There'll be new art. They're, you know, This is not going to hold its price. But if they don't, this hits you know some ridiculous number. 
Uh, I'm calling this to go $50 to 80 but if it's not reprinted, I would not be shocked to see it break 100 It could do old knob-ony things uh, if it misses a reprint. However, yes. I, I think this is probably one of the riskiest uh, calls we've had on cast in a while because it's not just Commander Masters where it's actually very likely to appear as a complement that's on schedule for a reprint, currently pricey, and makes perfect sense to put alongside the Euro Dragon. All of this is very true. I am watching this carefully. If you want to wait and see what's in the set, I will not fault you at all. But there's, on the other hand, if uh, there are four people that buy this card uh, before we get any Commander Masters spoilers before the end of May, then the card's already going to go up $30. Possibly. I mean, the copies can filter back into the market when people notice the price increase is recent. But... There's, there's three options, and one of them leaves you a big winner on the foil extended arts. The first option is Commander Masters reprint. That's not good for you, because you may or may, may or, I bet you they won't even do new art. This is pretty good art, so they, they may just give it to us <laughs> as is. Now, will you get a fancy version, or will it just be pack and pack foil? Remains to be seen. The other option is that they give it to us in a secret layer alongside right. the release of Commander Masters, and have some special artists do it and that wouldn't be too bad because people won't get those for four months yeah or at least two months or something so you might still get a window on these the third option is that they print it in the in the ur dragon deck there isn't going to be i don't think there's a dragon commander deck oh yeah that's right ur dragon's in the set right because ur dragon's the, in the, the set yes yeah okay well then yeah that that's less likely then the so I guess there's really just two options, but they're both pretty risky. So I like flagging this, but more as a sell call. Like I've got some Hellkite courses sitting around from cracking CMR. I just want to post them for sale. Even the non-foil versions are sitting at what eleven dollars or something. And the fact that those haven't moved super super hard is probably just delayed reaction because that's down to 26 listings as well. There is one wall of, of 14 copies at $11, but then after that, it seems ready to push up towards 20 And it really will just be a matter of whether it catches a reprint. But given that we know Jeweled Lotus is in there, we know that CMR was on their radar for the set, and I would imagine that they are cherry-picking four or five big cards from the set at minimum to, to sure. throw in. So. I don't think this one's for the faint of heart. You have to move fast here. You have to be nimble, and I wouldn't go too deep. Let's put it that way. Well, you really can't. There's only 15 copies to be bought. There's probably some copies overseas that can be snagged, and I bet you some local, shop, local shops are still displaying copies at old, outdated prices. All right, moving on to the Pro Trader selection of the week. We've got Atraxa herself, Praetor's Voice, Multiverse Legends version from the Mom Sealed Product, Japanese version, available at Harayuya. In the Strixhaven uh, frame, at eight dollars, basically I think a thousand yen, which is about seven fifty or eight dollars US, probably eight by the time you pay credit card exchange rates or whatever. You these are still holding steady at seventeen on TCG Player, and let's assume that they're going to get down to twelve or something as as the spring wears on. Getting it at $8 on, on Japanese Atraxis is probably still not a bad deal. It's the kind of thing where you can't sell them for a while, even on places like eBay, because the Japanese vendors are selling them cheap. Unloading They them. probably have better, sh better uh, shipping arrangements available, too. 
no, they have worse shipping, and a lot of people bias against them because it's going to be international shipping. Oh, right, but, right, right. But but they're an- but they're setting a price anchor you can't beat. So like, if there's twenty vendors, Japanese vendors willing to sell at eight, and you want to get fifteen for it, you're just so far down the page that no one's going to see you for a while. However, given I've done this again and again and again, you just don't worry about that. You you just you you could try to flip them quick on Facebook or something locally after you get them over here. If you're, if you're into moving quickly, personally, I'm just going to put those aside or I'm going to buy them in Japan tonight. I'm going to get them in three months, three months later, I'm going to take a look and see what prices look like on eBay. And if they've, if they're looking attractive, like I can get, I put in eight and I can get 15 or more, then I'm going to start listing them. Like I had a huge stack of smothering tides that I did that with from double masters 2022 last summer where I, picked up the smothering ties at like 450 or something and just outing them at 14 repeatedly ad infinitum a copy every couple days kind of thing and atraxa should be the same kind of deal there's a whole bunch of versions of her in the set all the way up to serialized those are selling pretty well close to a thousand dollars and there's a market for that very pricey atraxa but there's also a market just for the cheapest atraxa and a Japanese copy still looks really cool in that frame. I was I was looking it at the really Arnaviria year earlier, so you probably can't go wrong with this. And uh, yeah, it uh, gives you a reason to go shopping in Japan and work out your Japanese contacts and all the rest. I agree completely. This is uh, one of the best overseas picks I've seen in some time, and yeah, just just slam it, lock it down, take all they'll give you. Alrighty, moving on over to weekly topics. We have the Aftermath Mega Leaks. We have some goofball showed up on YouTube claiming that he bought mom CBs from his buddy. And when he went to pick them up, they were mom Aftermath CBs, which is a set which is not supposed to be out for another month and some, six weeks or something. And over the course, realizing that he was the only person on YouTube that had had product in hand, he saw the opportunity to stake a claim on YouTube uh, eyeballs and went ahead and made four or five videos opening up a whole bunch of the CBs. And because the set is pretty small, he basically opened every card in the set. And so before real previews have even started, we've already seen everything. As Patrick Stewart says, I've seen everything. So once it's out, it's out. <laughs> and... Apparently, Wizards went ahead and strong-armed the guy by hiring the Pinkerton Detective Agency, which is a security force that goes back to the Wild West, and sent them to his house and demanded he hand over the product, which apparently happened, and he no longer has said product, and apparently they've negotiated for him to take down the videos as well. (laughs) So, his big famous moment on youtube was probably never monetized to begin with and never will be now and it was all for naught but the rest of us have all seen all the cards and seen enough to see a very medium set that has some cool standouts that i think people are underestimating but the real issue with the set is the set size is too small and they tried to address that in their greedy desire to sell collector boosters by giving us a bunch of different treatments but it's all the same treatments that we've seen in mom already so it's not really that exciting just on a bunch of medium cards that are clearly edh uh designated there's probably some stuff people are missing here uh, even beyond what we're going to talk about today because this is supposed to be a standard legal set so 
Some I, of the stuff it, is really. Yeah, I didn't know it was standard legal. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be an addendum to mom. So as far as I know, it's standard legal. Wow, I had no idea that was also a thing, because you get some really uh, interesting cards you can add to current builds and do some very unfair things. From the perspective of people like Oka, who have been complaining all year that they're reprinting things too fast, there's not much to complain about here. The only notable reprint of any kind is Training Grounds, which was certainly an auto-sell the second that was revealed. But as far as I can tell, everything else here looks new. Let me just throw a spotlight on a few cards that have jumped out at me having looked at this list three or four times as stuff that I think is potential staples for EDH. There's a card called Tranquil Frillback that's two and a green for a 3-3 dinosaur. When it enters the battlefield, you can pay green up to three more times. So you could make it cast two quad green. And if you do that, you get to do any of the following three times. Destroy target artifact or enchantment, exile target player's graveyard, or gain four life. I would imagine a lot of the time, you're going to do destroy somebody's Rhystic Study, empty the graveyard person's graveyard. That seems quite likely. And be left with a a 3-3. That's about as ubiquitous a green card as I can think of for EDH purposes. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things going on here. That The frillback is neat. Uh, Leyline Immersion uh, caught my eye for any number of decks that want to do degenerate things. Joda. Yeah, three uh, three in a green, enchant a legendary creature, gains ward two, and tap, add five mana in any combination of colors, use this only to cast spells. So you can't do broken abilities with it, but you can just accelerate the bejeebers out of whatever you want to do. And the number of combos this unlocks is somewhere between stupid and infinite. So... I'm really looking forward to seeing this being a, a really expensive card. I think this looks like a common, but it's kind of hard to tell, or uncommon, but it's kind of hard to tell. Because the thing is, if you're building your Jota deck correctly, you probably have Gigantha as your companion, Fist of Sun in the deck, Jota Archmage Eternal, which both of which let you cast things for five different colored. All your spells basically cast cost Wooberg from there on out. Gigantha right. is tapping for Wooberg. You probably have a Timeless Lotus that tap taps for Wooberg, and now lane line immersion you get to put on some creature preferably some creature that already has ward so now it has like ward four or something uh and then it taps for Wooberg. you're probably running essica you're probably running the new essica and inga that lets all your legends tap for colors and you're probably running the relic of legends that lets all your legends tap for colors that starts to get very redundant in terms of making sure you hit your Wooberg and cast your shit. And then you're casting a Tally for five, a Traxxer for five. You're, like It just gets completely ridiculous. And that deck already snowballs hard, and it just keeps getting new puzzle pieces. Uh, so yeah, I could see Leyline Immersion being solid there. Is a little bit, like, you have a chance of getting blown out. But the thing is that if you cast a three or a four casting cost legend, you often hit a smaller legend. And maybe that's the one you put the immersion on because they don't want to waste a kill spell on it. Is it a legendary? No, thank goodness it's not a legendary aura. That yeah. would be uh, funny. So the other one that jumped out at me uh, was Nisa or Nissa Resurgent Animist. Uh, in case it wasn't clear, a whole bunch of planeswalkers are apparently being desparked in the lore. 
they're going to end up not having sparks because they gave them up to save uh, planes. Or uh, they were de-sparked as a result of their infection or something? It's that they use their spark to clear infections in others. Or something like that, yeah. Yeah. And so the a bunch of the planeswalkers are going to be knocked back to being regular creatures again. Uh, so Nissa Resurgent Animist is the first new creature-based Nissa. Two and a green for a... I can't see the power and toughness because his thumb is on it. Three, three. To go back. It's three, three. Yeah. Uh, enters the battlefield under your control. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, it has the Lotus Cobra ability where it makes a, another mana. And then if it's the second time that ability has resolved this turn, you reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal an elf or... Elemental, I believe. <laughs> yeah. So a better lo- Lotus Cobra on three is exactly what a whole bunch of landfall-related decks are super thrilled to run. And everything from Wind Grace on forward. Uh, Thalia and Gitrog, for instance, will run this. And again, this looks just like a great mana producer on three for EDH. Like any deck that is recurring fetch lands for value, you know, if you're playing the Gitrog monster is your commander and you've got ways, so you just get to replay Terramorphic Expanse or the Nuka Pena comes into play Sack Lands. All of that stuff is so amazing with Nyssa. So you get a mana every time, and only when the second time that resolves do you go find the elf or elemental. And then, of course, you've got targeted elves and elementals in there. Uh, I, I think this is a really neat card. I wrote Friday... I'm sorry, was there more you wanted to say about Nyssa? Nope. I wrote Friday about a couple of these cards that... Uh, I think are going to offer some interesting options. There's a new Kiora that focuses on the Krakens, Leviathans, Octopus, or Serpent tribes. So she's three green-blue, Vigilance with Ward... Is that a three or a five? I think it's a three. So she's a four or five, already great stats. Whenever you cast a KLOS, uh, that's what I'm going with, so I don't have to say those four types all over again. Whenever you cast it from your hand, look at the top X cards of your library, where X is that spell's mana value. Cast a spell with mana value less than X from among them without paying its cost, and then put the rest on your bottom of a of your library in a random order. So every Kraken, Leviathan, Octopus, or Serpent gives you a free spell from the top X, where X is whatever the ridiculous value is. Yeah. That's going to move some cards. Maybe. I mean, Runo Stromkirk didn't move any cards either, so it's possible that nobody wants to play these, but um, I have a big stack of uh, Icebreaker Krakens, and I'm really hoping <laughs> go somewhere. See, I agree that, that's, that that is an interesting niche option, but I think what most people are complaining about is that the, this set is full of a bunch of niche stuff like that that will fit this into This is only niche thing. stuff. I mean, yeah. That's... Uh, no, 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 but it's not. What, I, what I'm trying right, to flag... a lot of it is. What I'm trying to flag with, with Nyssa and the Tranquil Frillblack is that... There are cards in here that are just staples. They're not niche. Frillback goes in any green deck, and Nissa goes in any any green deck, especially if they care about lands matters. Gotcha. This other one, this other one I flagged is also like that. I didn't see anybody talking about this, and I don't really get it. It certainly feels like it's supposed to go into your Ur Dragon deck. Arnie Metalbrow, two and a red for a three-three human berserker. Whenever a creature you control attacks, or a creature enters the battlefield under your control attacking. You may pay one and a red. If you do, you may put a creature card with mana value less than that creature's mana value from your hand onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. So if you cast Hellkite Courser, 
and then drop the Ur Dragon. Then you get to drop Coligan and swing with everybody. And Coligan does not go back to your hand like Ur Dragon does. He stays. I saw that with Arnie, that whatever you get to play for an extra two mana stays in play. It's ridiculous. I don't know if I'm going to add it to the Ur Dragon, but it is a very, very good card. People are sleeping on this. This is a repeatable, and also, it's not a single trigger. It's whenever a creature you control attacks. So if you attack with biscuits, you're right. If you attack with three, (laughs) and you have six mana up, then you can drop three. You have three dragons attacking. You can drop three more dragons into play from your hand as long as they're below the casting cost of the dragons already in play, and really just end somebody's game. This card is way better than people think it is. I agree. This card is very good. We also got two things that uh, do a lot of hex uh, Planeswalker-related things. We got uh, Diification. So you choose a Planeswalker when it comes into play as one in a white enchantment. And Planeswalkers, you control the chosen type, which means a name. But you uh, uh, all the Planeswalkers with a name have that name. So all the different Lilianas are Legendary Planeswalker Liliana. So this would cover all your Lilianas, or all your Jaces, or all your Sarkins, whatever your choice is. So first of all, those Planeswalkers you control have Hexproof. And as long as you control a creature, mm-hmm. if damage would be if damage dealt to a Planeswalker you control, the chosen type would result in all loyalty counters being removed. Instead, all but one of those counters are removed. So you can't a- attack a Planeswalker to death. Yeah, so this, let me back you up, though. It doesn't do what you what you said it does. It doesn't oh. make Lilianas into Elspeths. No, but it makes all your Lilianas hexproof and impossible yes. to kill. Yes, 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 yes. So what it's really su- supposed to do is prevent people from doing what they do against super friends all the time. I drop Teferi Master of Time. I tick up. I tick up on the next person's turn. The third person decides to attack him. I phase it out, and then the next person kills it. With Diification in play, they can keep hitting it all they want, but they're only going to get it to one loyalty counter. And that works repeatedly. Right. So basically what it lets you do is keep a keep a guarantee, for the most part, unless they kill the Deification at the same time, which if they do it, so be it. But it, you can, it gives you a very good chance of keeping the most important planes of rocker until next turn. It also doesn't say combat damage. Any damage. Yeah, so, and, and also... You have to control a creature, though. Which is not that tough, because often you have things in play that you need to... Attraxa. You know, yeah, an Attraxa, or whatever. So, this is cool. Kind of niche, in the sense that it's Attraxa Planeswalkers... But not that niche, because Attracts is the top commander of all time. I was going to say, so. planes, Super Friends decks are going to play this, generally speaking, although you have to choose what your favorite Planeswalker type is. But that's probably it's, just going to be whatever you've got. It's a little tricky because you can make the argument that this should, if this is a slot in your deck, it should just be another redundant Planeswalker that interacts with doubling season and wins the game. So I'm not certain... This has a home, but I'll certainly test it to find out. However, I think this Sarkin Soul of Flame is better, <laughs> better in Ur-Dragon than Deification is in Atraxa. I mean, it takes a lot for me to want to play a card. I've I've turned down so many cards in Ur-Dragon that are not dragons. It's I'm a purist about these things, and this I, I'm going to have to play it. There's no way I can't play this. It's one red-blue for a 2-4 
Dragon spells cost one less. That's already an ability close to my heart. But whenever a dragon enters a battlefield under your control, you may have Sarkin become a copy of it until end of turn, except its name is Sarkin Soul of Flame and it's legendary in addition to its other types. So you don't have to worry about sacrificing it if you play a legendary. You can get a double attack if you play the legendary that has haste. It's just so good. You can have Sarkin become another Ur Dragon. Come on, buddy, let's do some work. Like, I can go turn two Arcane Signet into turn three Sarkin. I mean, that doesn't really speed me up. Turn four Hellkite Courser because it's reduced by two. And then I get to get two Ur Dragon attack triggers. Oh my god. Yeah, and if you have Metal Brow in the mix here too, this is where things just get completely out of control. <laughs> I I don't think Sarkin's going to be a, a terribly expensive card, but we're going to see... And it's also that this really neat dragon frame. I'm just, damn it. They keep making non-dragon cards better and better and better. And this one is probably going to get me. There's another couple of like just kind of subtle cards that I think are going to, will find a home over time. Feast of the Victorious Dead. White and a black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, if one or more creatures died this turn, you gain that much life and distribute that many plus one plus one counters among creatures you control. So say I was playing uh, Brimaz this weekend in our EDH decks, uh, EDH games with the Pro Traders. And Brimaz's little trick is that all the sweepers in my deck kill all your creatures, but not mine. So mm-hmm. it's like Winds of Abandon to exile a bunch of stuff. and so, Or it's the one that kills all non-Phyrexian creatures or kills all creatures and leaves an incubate token behind. And if I do that, I'm often killing you know 10 to 15 creatures. Well, if I've got an incubate token left on the table, I can transform the incubate token and put 10 or 15 counters on it. Or in a deck like a Loro, just through incidental death of things through the grind of the game over time, I'm gaining life, which is triggering a bunch of my permanents that care about life gain. And I get to make angels at the end of turn if I gained four or more life, typically in that deck. And then put a bunch of counters on the angels. Seems solid for two mana. And there's a bunch of like black-white token builds that can probably do more with this. Do some really redundant things, yeah. Like Tessa, so equal and Tessa and stuff. Equal to the number of creatures that died this turn, right? That much yeah. life and distribute that many counters. On, uh, on, any, on any turn, and it counts for the whole turn. It's not just a single time or anything. So I can't wait to see somebody lay this down with Massacre Girl. There's also a pretty good looking like Eternal Witness variant, Cosmic Rebirth, one green, white. Choose target permanent card in your graveyard. Either put it in your hand, or if it costs three or less, put it into play. And then gain three life. Now that And then sure, the, you gain three the, life. But the cutest and an instant. part of, Yes, that's the cute part. <laughs> E-Witness they see coming. It's a, it's a sorcery speed effect. This puts it right into play at instant speed. So you can put combos into play at the end of other people's turns. Like you had your combo set up, your devoted druid has been killed. They think it's all clear. They all tap out. End of the, the turn right before you, you go ahead, cosmic rebirth, your combo back into play and you go off in your upkeep. Looks pretty solid to me. I think I'm going to have to play blot out in most of my black decks. Uh, two and a black instant target opponent exiles a creature or planeswalker they control with the greatest mana value among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Just their most expensive thing. 
exile that get it out of here i ch i target the opponent not the creature your stuff's gone thank you very much have a nice day yeah that's handy so yeah i, I think this set is is medium but there there are some some good cards in here that are going to be underestimated and we'll uh, see how that develops the other thing we wanted to touch on this week is there's a new secret layer super drop that was revealed today we're not going to go through all the drops i'm just going to highlight the ones that i think are going to are likely to matter most um, there are three drops that are using the frames from the March of the Machine Multiverse uh, Legends, mu yeah. Multiverse Legends frames, and the one that jump. There's two that jump out at me. There's Volume One, which has Wheel and Deal, Questing Beast, Olivia Valderan, and then most importantly, Walking Ballista in the Kaladesh frame, Masterpiece frame, and the World Tree in the Caltime frame. They both look great. They only come in Halo foil. There is no non-foil version of these, and they want $50 for these instead of $40. So that does factor in because they're 25% more expensive than usual. And then the Volume 3, I think, is even better than that because it has Misdirection, Advara Hellkite, Kogla mm. the Titan Ape, Nyxbloom Ancient, and Joy Weatherlight Captain. So the big ones there are Advara and Nyxbloom, which probably justifies the price of admission. Advara Hulkite is in the new Ravnica frame that has never been used anywhere other than in Multiverse Legends and is pretty cool. It's got the all the buildings up around the sides. Uh, very neat because the art of the dragon is like shooting fire down onto the buildings. So there's like an interaction between the dragon and the frame, which is extra sexy. Um, there's an Alana Danner angels thing that's just whatever. Doesn't look that important to me. There's a Randy Vargas drop that has Grand Abolisher, which is a notable reprint, and Umazawa's Jit with art I'm not fond of, but it's a Jit, so it'll, people will want it. It's also got Selfless Savior and Akroma Angel of Fury, which don't really matter all that much, but there's probably Angel Collectors or uh, Akroma Collectors that will want that. More importantly, there's a Rebecca Gway Secret Lair. This is a way back magic artist that still works with Wizards today, and they gave her Cleansing Nova, Sarah the Benevolent, Stoneforge Mystic, and Muddle the Mixture. Sarah the Benevolent and Stoneforge Mystic should cover this one uh, because this foil edition is only $40 and a foil Stoneforge with Gway art is, could easily be a 20 to $30 card on its own. Or I more. mean, it's, it's real hard to argue with Stoneforge. It's got a, a pedigree in Modern and Legacy, perennial hammer time four of and then yeah in a whole bunch of other decks in modern two that are more on the fringes and not to forget that it's in thirty-seven thousand commander decks that number is probably higher it's just really difficult to argue like the the core pri the price on a non-foil double masters version is 30 odd dollars so getting the foil version for 40 this this feels like an a mistake almost like, I'm really surprised that they put something this expensive in just a, a $40 secret lair. There's a drop called Nature is Adorable Foil Edition that has Draga, Tree Speaker, Nature's Will, which they haven't reprinted since 2004, Ulvenwald Tracker, which is whatever, and Yeva, Nature's Herald. This is one of those tricky ones where the art is amazing, the cards are not, and it's the kind of thing I would normally ignore, and then it has a decent, like, a chance, not a certainty, but a chance of doing well just because nobody else bought it. Secret layers, medium secret layers have proven multiple times that they can spike 
if the demand is underestimated by vendors, vendors underorder them, and then the trailing market demand exceeds the existing inventory on the major platforms. So I won't be buying Nature is Adorable, I don't think, but I wouldn't fault people for taking a flyer on it. The other one that looks like a more or less a lock is Cool Ocean Breeze Foil Edition, also $40. This one has Lawan, Cephalid Empress, Master of Waves, and then importantly, Thassa Deep Dwelling and Thassa's Oracle. Thassa's Oracle Foil Borderless with cool art by Lauren YS, that's the artist, uh, seems very likely to do well. So I, I would imagine if you're only going to buy a couple of these aspects, I would go with Cool Ocean Breeze and, and Rebecca Gway Foil, and then probably either Volume 3 or Volume 1 or a mix of both of the uh, March in the Machine Halo Foil versions. I will note that Halo Foil looks different depending on which frame it's in. Mm-hmm. And there's also probably a chance of a misprint because several of the f- the Halo Foil uncommons I got out of CBs had a weird misprint where you couldn't read the text. The text was kind of like sublimated behind the Halo Foiling. Right. Uh, and who knows if they've sorted that out by the time they printed these. These could have been on the presses at pretty much the same time as the main set for all we know. One thing I want to point out is that they, they've they gone back to certain bundle discounts. Yep. And the there is a March of the Machine bundle for all three of them for $21 off. So that's not a huge discount, especially if you're not fond of Volume 2 of the... Uh, that's got Higure, the Still Wind, Nizal, Dragonlord, Cole. They got just the worst of the Dragonlords. It's it's just offensive that they put this one in. Like, nobody plays this card. This, this commander... I'm sorry, I'm ranting. Um, Mina and Den Wildborn and Zancha, the Sleeper Agent. Middling cards at best, except for the ninja who is so, so busted. Now... I, I realize that they've done a good job with these bundles in the past of like one bundle is clearly the turd in the punch bowl. And that is the case here. You've got two amazing ones and one very much not amazing, but there is, it's harder to argue with all three for one thirty than it, like all three for one fifty. No matter which bundle you get here, you basically get 15% off. Right. So, there's a giant non-foils bundle that just has everything in non-foil. Uh, Except for the March of the Machine, because you can't get March of the Machine in non-foil. Yeah, exactly. So it's actually not a non-foil bundle. It's a mixed bundle of everything. And then the foil bundle, none of these appeal to me. I don't think 15% off is enough to justify not just going after the three separate drops that make the most sense. Okay would be my guess. So it's a real shame that you don't get to mix and match here, because I think I would be going Volume 1, 3, Gway, and Ocean Breeze. I think they did that once for us. Like, they gave you 20% off your order if you had, like, $200 or something. And they'll never do that again. Well, there, well there's also no Scarab God. Like, they're, they're not doing the free card thing either here. That's true, too. So they're back to just this. If you want a discount, you have to buy a bunch. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to have a much more detailed breakdown for the pro traders uh, on the relative values of these drops posted tomorrow. And uh, other than that, where can people find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. 
You can find uh, me online at on Twitter at MTGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles at MTGPrice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com ProTrader service for just $7.99 a month or $9.99 a month if you want access to our group buys. Annual fee, $109.99. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Ah, so much happened this week, James, and I'm sure more is going to happen before next week. Indeed. Thank you, Cliff, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. 